This morning, I'm going to be reading portions from Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 36, as part of today's scripture reading. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to heal him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets." But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do others as you would have them do to you. Verse 35 But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This is the Word of God. We've been going through a sermon series on the core values of Metro. And here at Metro, uh, one of our core values is to be community dependent, meaning community is so essential to one's faith. It is crucial in terms of how one fosters the faith, that community is needed uh, for the sake of exhortation and encouragement. And during a time like this, I really do believe that we need community more than ever. We need community knowing that there are many suffering in the silence. Well, we need a voice. We need community as so many are continually to be trapped in their addiction. We need accountability. We need community knowing that uh, there are so many simply in need of just a little bit of hope as we're witnessing racial injustice and the political divide that continues to plague this nation. Well, we all need encouragement. 
And here, even Jesus Christ makes it very clear that community is essential to our lives. And this is what we see specifically in Luke chapter 6. As we spend our time in Luke 6, I have three points. The first point is the calling to Christian community, why we need it. Secondly, the values of Christian community, what does it look like? And finally, the power for Christian community, how do we get it? Let's dive into our first point, the calling to community. In Luke chapter 6, there are... What we see is a lot of uh, different standalone passages that can be broken up in, in many ways. But the overarching theme, I would argue, is actually that it's about the statuses and practices of Jesus's community. We begin to see this in verses 12 through 16. You see Jesus Christ, he goes up to the mountaintop to pray. And then as he goes down, he then gathers his 12 disciples and then he begins to teach. And the question we want to ask right now is, why was it so important for Jesus to gather the 12 disciples? Well, to help answer this, uh, we have to look back in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 19, uh, we see uh, specifically that it's God's servant Moses on Mount Sinai to receive God's law. And as he goes down, he then gathers the 12 tribes of Judah and teaches them the law. Now, what was the purpose of Moses uh, delivering the law? This is really important for today's passage. The primary purpose of the Ten Commandments given to the 12 tribes of Judah, God's people, it was to gather and unite God's people. The purpose of the law was not to save God's people from slavery. In Exodus chapter 20, God already declares that he took them out of slavery. See, the purpose of the law was to help God's people to be a radically new community that society has never, ever seen. So when we circle back into today's text, when Jesus gives a sermon on the mount to his 12 disciples, it tells us that there's a point that he called his disciples for the sake of something more than just ethics. That the calling of his disciples more than, was, was more than just a manual for ethics. Now, it's part of it, but it's not the main purpose. See, the main purpose was to gather God's people. The main purpose was to be a whole new community with the same purpose, which we find in verse 18, to hear and to be healed. And is in this new community that is meant to be radically different from any other community we see today. And we see this in two specific ways. First, the calling to Jesus community, it goes way beyond ethnic background and social status. When we look at verse 17, we see that Jesus, he includes both Jew and Gentile and all people from Judea and Jerusalem. Meaning God's community was meant to cross every racial and class barrier. And More than ever, when we think about what's going on right now, I think we have to remember this, that Jesus Christ community consists of all ethnicities, all races, and all classes. And it should draw us to repent for all of the inner hatred and stereotypes that we continue to hold in our hearts today. 
The second thing we see in light of Jesus's community, that his community was not based on one's religiosity or righteous behavior. Look at the disciples. They consistently failed. They fell asleep and left Jesus alone during the time of his agony in the garden. Peter would deny him. Judas betrayed him. Thomas doubted. At the cross, all the disciples deserted him and they fled. And besides Judas, all of those disciples, they were still called because it was God that wanted to use them to build his kingdom here on earth. And it brings us to this point. God has called his people, you and I, to partake in this community, that we were all meant to be part of community, that we are all broken people in need of a perfect savior. We are all desperate people in search of an everlasting joy. See, we tend to run away because of our mess. We tend to hide our sins. And we're more likely to be uh, overcompensating whenever we go through any type of suffering. But look at what Jesus does and look at what Jesus uses. He creates and builds his community through the mess, through the suffering, and all of it leading to Jesus on the cross, his resurrection for our sake. So when we read these verses on gathering the disciples, let it encourage you. Consider what it means to really be part of community, knowing that God calls people to be in his community because of not how you perfectly abide in his law, but by simply abiding in his love. And I want to invite everyone, everyone to community that, yeah, we're not proclaiming that we are a perfect community. We most certainly are not but that you would partake in a community that loves a perfect Savior. We all need it. You and I, every single person needs community to foster the faith. Now, as we continue in our text, uh, we see Jesus, he's uh, not just calling to community, but as he continues in his teaching, he tells us what it should look like. He tells us what it means to be called and what we should be shaped into. And this is our second point, the, the values of community. Now, starting in verse 20. Jesus now, he begins to highlight uh, what his community should look like. And he specifically makes a reference to the kingdom, God's community here on earth. And in this kingdom community, it is to be characterized by a particular set of values. And he refers to them as blessings. Now, just to briefly go over, before I go into those kingdom values, I want to briefly highlight what values he actually goes against, which we find in verses 24 through 26. See, what Jesus and his kingdom uh, does not value, which he describes as woes. He says, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well-fed now. Woe to you who laugh, which is a reference to someone being condescending. And woes to those who uh, um, are always spoken highly of, ones that seek worldly approval. Now, hear me. What Jesus is not saying is that you can't be successful. I don't think he is saying that you can't be rich. I I think you can be those things. And in fact, I hope you tithe very generously. 
What Jesus is saying is that when uh, riches and selfish game are of ultimate value to the point where you are prideful, arrogant, and selfish, then that does not align with what he values. That if your ultimate value is in success, if your ultimate worth is in your career and is about your kingdom above being in God's kingdom, then there really is no room within this kingdom because it reflects that you always want to play king. And scripture tells us Jesus is already sitting on his throne. See, the values of Jesus's community are radically different from these values. In verses 20 through 23, Jesus specifically says, you are blessed. You are blessed if you value what it means to be poor. If you hunger if you weep and if they hate you. In other words, what God's people are to value is what the world sees as valueless. That you will value suffering because you know God is with you in it. That you will value pain because God is working through it. That you will value weakness because God is blessing you to know him and it is called for you to be more faithful. Now the question becomes, how do these values shape your community? Because whenever you value something, it's always reflected through one's action. Not only will your community be uh, more welcoming, not only will your relationships be more grace-filled, but you'll also be a more forgiving community. And at the same time, What uh, scripture tells us is that not only will will it shape your relationships and the community within, but it will also impact with the people outside of this community. That's why in verse 27, it says, it continues to love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, well, turn to them the other also. See, the values of a true Christian community, when interwoven with one another, it should allow you and I to be a more loving people, and not just with one another. Scripture says that that's easy, but it allows you to do the more difficult things, specifically loving those who are against you because of what you value. And I want to highlight this briefly, because I want to highlight that When we say we value weakness, it does not mean that you allow for any type of abuse or injustice. In fact, verse 27, it says to do good. And often in scripture, when it says to do good, it's referring to pursuing justice and mercy. See, what Jesus is saying, that when these things happen to you, when enemies are against you, when there is persecution, when someone is sinning against you, You can respond, but just not in a sinful manner. You can respond, but in a godly way. Even if that means that you're giving them the opportunity to slap you again. It means that you can speak, but you will not slander. That you will stand, but you will not attack. Now, let's be real. You know, I'm assuming many people probably don't have the greatest amount of enemies because of persecution. I mean, if you have a lot of enemies, that's probably a whole nother issue in another sermon. 
But we could take away a lot of practical things when we look at this idea of loving your enemies, that when they're is persecution because that what it's that's what it says in the first point that there will be enemies there will be people that are not for you there will be co-workers that are competing against you there are going to be difficult times as you navigate uh relationships and friendships even family it means that with friends you can confront the person the gossiper without saying spiteful things, but yet be bold to speak and speak into that person's life. When there's an issue with a coworker, you can keep up with godly integrity in your work, even though you have coworkers who are trying to jump over you for that new job position. To be a true community that values weakness and humility is what God is calling us to. And by any means, we're not, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, no easy task because we naturally don't want to show our weakness. But Jesus reminds us all of this will lead to people knowing more about the gospel, that lives will be saved because of this radical way of witnessing. So how do we become this community? In light of our weakness, what or who is our strength. And that leads us to this third and final point, the power for community. Look at verse 35 and 36 with me. And your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. As Jesus is now concluding his disposition on loving your enemies, it's interesting because at the very end of this section, he kind of shows and and throws some godly shade to his disciples. Here he says, yeah, be loving to your enemies, but it's because you too are ungrateful and wicked. Out of this entire passage, he's talking about loving your enemies, and he's saying, well, you too are wicked In fact, the ESV translates wicked as evil. But look at the same time, Jesus says that yet we are still evil, but we are also children of the most high. We are wicked, but still children. We are evil, but still loved. See, this is the key to to unlocking uh, the power of community because this is the power for our community. See, when you understand that you and I were God's enemies because of sin, and that you needed someone to love you so much that he would personally die for you so that the debt of sin and the justice and wrath of God would be satisfied. And now through it, we would be his children. Well, this in the same way will be the power for our community. That all of this life, we, we search for this idea of someone to just love us and save us unconditionally, and we see this here in the Bible, and it specifically tells us that someone does that for you and I. See, later in the book of Luke, Jesus Christ on the cross, he obeyed perfectly to what he asks of his people in this passage. On the cross, he was not just cursed at, but he was also mocked 
On the cross, Jesus was not mistreated, but he was forgotten. On the cross, he was not just slapped, but he had nails in his flesh. On the cross, Jesus was not just stripped of his tunic, but he was stripped naked in complete humiliation. See, it was on the cross, Jesus Christ, he became God's enemy so that you and I would no longer be his enemies. Jesus Christ, the son of God, he lost his sonship. He lost all of his given rights as a child so that you and I could be adopted and accepted as children of God. See, when the gospel is center, you can accept your greatest enemy with open arms. When the gospel is center, you can sacrifice your rights so that it would benefit your brother. When the gospel is center, you can find joy in weakness and suffering, not only to find intimacy with the Lord, but to find it with the people that you stand with. See, church, you and I, we are called to community, a community that would value weakness and humility because we find our strength and our confidence in Jesus. Now, I just want to note for everyone out here as I close, this idea of community is such a, such a blessing and a, such an amazing thing that God has called us to. But it's not an easy thing to do, as we see clearly in Scripture. And for everyone out there that maybe has been hurt or maybe there has been some brokenness because of a past church experience, And maybe you're feeling convicted because of what we see in Scripture. You know, I just want to say, please be patient. It takes time. It takes a long walk. It takes a gospel healing and a gospel process and moving forward to really dive into community. And at the same time, for the ones that are already into community and developing relationships, please be patient. There are a lot of people that aren't there yet in terms of where they are in faith. But continue to walk, continue to shape, continue to encourage, be patient. For all of this is for God's glory, for his kingdom. And if caught in him, it will build. May we be hopeful. May we be resilient. May there be a great confidence and hope in him and in the context of his people, to to be comforting, to be hopeful in the, the most difficult of times. Would you join me in prayer?